welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. Welcome to Labor Vision, the at-home edition. Labor Vision is a production of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research, and I am your host, Erica Hammond. This segment is part of a three-episode series around the Rhode Island opioid crisis, specifically in the construction, building and construction trades industry. And joining us today is Jill Tracy, Health Initiatives Manager from Building Futures and an independent licensed clinical social worker. Um, she's a familiar face to Labor Vision, so welcome back, Jill. Thanks for having me again. And joining us for the first time is Tim Potter, who is a certified peer recovery specialist, and he is also an electrician and member of the IBEW. Thank you for joining Thanks. us, Tim. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, so I just want to jump right into, um, I know that as a part of a three-segment series, we're going to probably overlap on some of the information we're talking about, but I think that that's a good thing. Um, it's all really important information. So. I wanna talk specifically right now about um, peer recovery. And Tim, um, can you give us a little bit of a background on what you do as a certified peer recovery specialist? So uh, as a peer recovery specialist, uh, recovery coach, uh, I'm, I'm able to help people that are struggling with substance abuse and uh, mental health issues uh, with uh, support and resources. Uh, basically, part of my job is to go into emergency rooms and provide those that the doctor has uh, vetted as uh, somebody that is in uh, a dire, uh, um, how do you want to say, has accepted the fact that they have a problem and they want help. So um, when uh, the doctor has a discussion with the patient uh, and they agree to a meeting with a recovery coach, I go in and uh, discuss uh, resources and support and ways that they can stop the process of recovery. Okay. And I know that there was a time when you were working as a certified peer recovery specialist, but you were also working, or you still are working as an electrician with IVW. And those were kind of separate worlds. Um, how did that connection happen? Because I know um, at one point those paths crossed. Yeah, I mean, they kind of started when I was actively using on job sites. Uh, I went from being a foreman to losing that credential and just being a worker. And then next thing you know, uh, I wouldn't even want to hire me. Um, and then uh, once I got into recovery, um, I noticed that there's a lot of stigma involved in it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially in the construction trades, don't want to get in, don't want to share what's going on in their life because, you know, we're, we're a proud bunch and, uh, you know, we think we can fix everything ourselves. And um, when I realized that people reaching out to me uh, was the way that I got into recovery, um, then I wanted to show other people that they're not alone and recovery is possible. And all they have to do is just uh, face the fact that they need help and other people who've been through it are willing to help them. And that's how I actually got into, you know, 
helping people in the union with it. Okay. And being a part of, so that would be IBW's peer recovery program. Correct. And Jill, I know that you have some information about some of the other unions and their peer recovery programs. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah. Um, so there's a few unions that are uh, doing some really great work in this area. The laborers in Massachusetts and um, kind of greater New England have this program LEAN. It's called uh, L-E-A-N. I think it's Laborers Ending Addiction Now. Um, and it's a very formalized program that uh, they have laborers that are actually um, full-time employed by their health benefits fund. And I have a child that is now jumping in, you know, that's how okay. this works. This is the at-home edition. Um, right. So <laughs> might happen again. <laughs> um, so it's, <laughs> um, it depends on the level of formalization of uh, each union. So some are as formalized as having full-time employees on staff that are kind of responding to uh, the needs of their members and the members' families. Others are really quite casual and they just know if somebody's struggling with addiction, there's a few people that have been pretty open about their own recovery and um, you know, members know to tap them to try to support uh, other members. And it feels like that's where a lot of this peer support work is happening is on job sites where someone might just make it known that they themselves are in recovery and then other people on the site become aware and um, maybe approach them or kind of start those casual conversations almost while they're working. And now I know that this peer recovery model is a part of a, a larger program, 12-step program. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about that for viewers who are unfamiliar or don't know that connection? Um, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? So um, 12, peer recovery started with 12-step uh, programs and um, all the programs are basically spin-offs from the original Alcoholics Anonymous started by uh, Bill Wilson. And uh, what happened was they found, he found way back when that one alcoholic or helping another one or one substance abuse abuser helping another substance abuse abuser can relate to each other. And um, they found that uh, this high success rate of people that uh, helping each other with the same issue. So you actually feed off each other and because you know what the other one's going through. And uh, that's basically how peer recovery started. They took that model from 12 step program and then they added resources to it. They added, okay, you don't just have to do a 12 step. You can do all this other type of recovery, Medicaid assistance treatment, and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. therapy. Um, so, but it all basically started with 12-step program, but uh, it has blossomed into peer recovery specialist and you don't have to go to one place to get help. You, you know, a uh, re recovery coach will meet you wherever you're at, you know, in your recovery, so to speak. Okay. And I would just add that 12-step um, programs 
not only have found that, you know, one alcoholic supporting another alcoholic can really, you know, build upon um, someone's recovery and support it, but also that other identities that people carry can really help um, sort of create or build a community within the recovery community itself. So there are men's groups, there are women's groups, there are um, groups with all sorts of identities. It's not just regional necessarily, or who's your neighbor. Um, so people kind of seek out peer support um, with identities kind of at play, I guess, or, you know, they're also taking that into consideration. So what we're doing here is thinking about peer support within an industry, right? So our identity is as union members, as tradesmen, tradeswomen um, who are working in the field, you know, how do we support each other, especially because that schedule is often um, grueling or early, or, you know, you might be driving or commuting very differently. And so your availability to attend perhaps a, a local meeting might, might not quite match up. So there's a lot of reasons to think about it within this industry as well. And I know that specific to this industry, we'll touch on it in every segment of this series, um, but in this industry specifically, there's so many different layers too that are compounding this crisis, right? So Tim, you mentioned it before, we're a proud bunch. Um, it is a predominantly male industry. Um, there's a little bit, there's a, a lot of the stigma of, uh, are you hurt? Don't drag your feet. You're not gonna, don't slow us down. Are you really hurt? You know, um, when you take time out of work, are you hurting the team? Um, so can you talk a little bit about what is, what makes recovery really difficult on job sites specific to kind of that stigma around the construction worker or their, this, image that is has been created of the construction worker what they're supposed to be how they're supposed to feel or deal with pain yeah you're absolutely right um so when i got back when i got into recovery and basically got my life back and even more so because i didn't have this um desire to you know shadow my feelings um so to speak I, I started noticing a lot more on job sites. And one of the things I noticed was, you know, the guy who was acting just like me. And I would see that in myself. I would see it in other people. And when it became obvious and people come up to me and I started being a, running work again, even as a general foreman, and I turned around and, uh, you know, I would bring the person into the trail and I'd say, listen, I don't know if you know my background. I tell them a little bit about my background, where I came from, where I am, where I am now, you know, holding two jobs and uh, one of them's working in recovery as a recovery coach and, you know, try to help them understand that, you know, it, I could see myself in them and that they're not alone if they want some help and they could talk to me privately about it. And, um, you know, I've had that conversation with numerous people, but, you know, um, I've also had the union you know, through our program call, and I've had to get people in touch with detoxes and whatnot, but uh, it is out there and it, you know, it's not getting any better, especially with COVID. And um, I find that me being able to be honest with my, not only myself, but my, my fellow brothers and sisters in the union is the best way for them to get into recovery if they are struggling. 
and not only them, but a family member too. Everybody knows somebody that's struggling with substance abuse or mental health issues. And there's no reason today that we have to keep all this bottled up, especially not during this time. And sorry, Joe, were you gonna say something? No, um, I was just kind of agreeing that I think so much of the success uh, that we do have on sites is, is just having those basic conversations and just allowing it to happen in both formalized settings where we're hosting these big trainings and things, but also those informal ways um, mm -hmm. when people are making those connections or even learning, oh, the supports don't just have to be for me. Um, they could also be for my family, which I have, um, you know, an attendance climbing under my desk. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's our youngest guest on Labor Vision. <laughs> and now, so what are some ways that you would suggest um, anyone who's watching this who might be, whether they're a business manager, a business agent, a uh, foreman or a steward uh, on a job site, how can they start normalizing the conversation and start normalizing having conversations about addiction and recovery on not just job sites, but in mm -hmm. uh, union meetings. Because I know that one of the things that we've talked about a little bit in the past is how important it is to hear about the um, options that there are for you, even at just a union meeting. Because when you have those slight moments of clarity as someone who's using those slight moments of clarity are, are exactly that. It may be a slight moment where you're ready to get help, right? But if you don't know where, or if you don't know the right um, process to take, you may, that moment may fade very quickly. Um, so how, how would you suggest to anyone who might be watching this, how they can start normalizing that conversation in those settings? Well, it, it, it starts with a conversation. Um, you know, so when I got into recovery, I brought it out to my business agent. My business agent had the same idea. He goes, I got two more guys. I got a, um, that do 12-step program, one of them in Narcotics Anonymous, the other one Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm kind of the all recovery guy. So we all got together and we had a conversation, what's the best way to help uh, our brotherhood? And um, our business agent, you know, came up with, oh, well, how about this? And some of his ideas were really um, cutting edge at the time. I mean, we have a journal that comes out. Um, so he put a blurb in the journal, actually a whole page about, you know, you're not alone if you're having substance abuse problems. And, um, and you know, there's a hotline number and that you could call and everything's anonymous. And um, so I, I think putting it out there that people aren't alone and having that initial conversation and even bringing it up at union meetings is the way to go. And then providing resources and letting them know, like in our union hall, we have a resource board for recovery and mental health where somebody can go in there and just look at it, get some pamphlets and some resources and um, you know, don't have to worry about talking to anybody. They could just grab the stuff. It's, it's like in the back hallway, you know? And, um, you know, it just educating people that 
you know, recovery resources are there for you, people are there for you. So you don't have to struggle with this anymore. It's that kind of, it's an initial conversation of putting the information out there. Right. That's where it starts. And I think some of it is just um, uh, things that you can have as part of toolbox talks or on the job uh, safety trainings and things that really incorporate the whole person uh, as an element of safety to be considering. Um, sort of my, anytime we're talking about safety, anytime we're talking about OSHA and things like that, hopefully people will start to think about other ways that people are keeping themselves and their bodies safe or um, they might be at risk of um, some wellness areas. Um, so maybe starting to kind of expand what we mean when we're talk having those conversations. I think we can also um, develop a practice of being more recovery friendly generally in our lives and offering uh, sort of alternatives to going out after work on a Friday um, can look a lot of ways, right? And, and sometimes those could be recovery friendly and supportive um, and other times it might be more difficult for somebody who's in recovery to also feel like they can socialize with their, with their coworkers um, and with their team. So just kind of keeping an eye on different ways that, that we can support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, before we finish up this segment, I want to leave the floor for both of you to share whatever you'd like before we end it. Jill, where um, Yeah, sure. I'll go first. I guess uh, I think the two things that I would always say is anytime we're having this conversation, um, it's important to give a resource. And I think the strongest resource that we have in Rhode Island is um, the Behavioral Health Link. It's a 24-hour um, access center that you can go to uh, in East Providence. Um, and there's also a phone number that can be used as sort of a hotline if you are either um, struggling with substance dependence yourself, if you're struggling with other mental illness concerns, or if you're somebody who, uh, you know, needs information for their friend or loved one. So that phone number is 401-414-LINK. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, we're doing the at-home edition. You got to see one of my uh, small people jump in and this is hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's particularly hard for somebody who's already been struggling and dealing with the global pandemic. And it's really expounding, uh, Expounding. Um, it's really expanding the impact of, of the opioid crisis here in the state and nationally. Uh, the data is trending um, to be likely one of the worst years ever for um, drug overdose fatalities. And it has a lot to do with, you know, the strain of people, uh, rise in un unemployment, uh, lack of access to services confusion about how to access services, of course, um, and massive isolation. So I think just keeping an awareness that, uh, yes, we're dealing with a public health crisis that's in the news every second of every day, and we're trying to figure out what the vaccine is and how to uh, move forward within the COVID crisis. Um, 
but there's no there's no vaccine for uh, for substance uh, dependence and but we do have a lot of ways to treat it there's a lot of paths to recovery and i think i think there's a lot of ways to um, support the people that are that are in need and struggling i guess what i'd say is kind of keep your eyes out because it's looking a whole lot like those numbers are, are higher than we think. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, if somebody, um, you know, 24 years old and, and younger, they could even reach out to Teen Challenge, you know, mm -hmm. which is geared towards teenagers. Um, you know, uh, is like you said, BH Link, uh, the Providence Center, Anchor Recovery Community Center, Community Care Alliance. Um, if if you're having trouble, you can walk into any Providence fire station, mm -hmm. and after they evaluate you that you're medically cleared, they'll they'll call recovery coaches and they'll bring you into a um, uh, a detox or wherever you want to go for for treatment of the options that they provide. So, but my biggest thing was, and only because, you know, I always went to the doctor, was to have a honest conversation with my primary care physician. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a one, then you could, you could get one through something like Thunder Mist or, you mm -hmm. know, any healthcare provider would, uh, um, would be able to provide you with uh, 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 primary care services. Um, but after I had that honest conversation with my doctor, it was easier for me to talk about it mm. with other people, you know? And then once my doctor gave me a referral to Butler, Butler Hospital, that's where I went, from, that was my detox. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then from there, I went to Roger Williams, IOP, you know? Because you don't have to go into a, a detox unless, you know, you really... really to get cleared for your substance abuse you know if you can't stop and if you stop you might go into some kind of me medical seizure um but you know there's iop there's there's therapy there's all different types of recovery but it all stops with that one honest conversation with a healthcare provider and once you have that then moving forward you you can actually help somebody else because like you said Jill, it's gotten worse during the pandemic. Yeah. And there is no cure. There's only treatment. And people are suffering. And take it from me, I was suffering for years before I had that one honest conversation with my primary care doctor who gave me Butler's number. And then once I was in, once I was in treatment, I realized, wow, look at all these people. They're just like me. This guy's story kind of like mine. That one's kind of like mine. And then I felt that I don't have to live like this anymore. And there is help for me. And I don't have to suffer. And I can live a normal life. But it's going to take work. But it started with that one conversation with my doctor. And mm -hmm. uh, that would be my best advice for anybody. Take a good look of where you are right now and how you feel. And I can guarantee you if you're using substances or you just don't feel right mentally, have a conversation with, uh, with somebody about it in the healthcare profession. 
and they'll be able to guide you along and you can feel better and you don't have to live like you're living. That would be my right. advice to anybody who's suffering with substance abuse and mental health. Right. I would just add, while you were talking, I kind of thought um, a lot of people might be thinking, okay, how hard is it to seek out my healthcare provider right now or seek out treatment services, therapy, or uh, AA meetings and things like that. And so since we're talking about sort of what recovery might look like in the time of COVID um, that we had talked about previously, that there are a lot of telehealth options and Zoom options and um, kind of COVID safe and friendly ways to uh, seek treatment. So I just wanted to add that context if anybody has any of those questions as well. And again, just a phone call to your doctor or um, that EH link number or, or anywhere else as a resource uh, to kind of initiate that conversation, you can ask all those questions. And I know too, from my conversation with Michael Sabatoni from the Building and Construction Trades Council, he had mentioned too that this is, if there's anyone who has a question or wants to try and get in contact with a health um, a health specialist or right, a primary care provider, uh, it might be a good idea to go through the their, one of their peer recovery programs to help, they may have answers or maybe be able to help them find someone or get uh, maybe an appointment with a telehealth service. Um, so there's definitely a lot of options. Well, I wanna thank you both so much for joining me. I appreciate you both for taking the time to be on this segment. And um, I just appreciate you guys. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. All right. And for anyone who's watching this segment from home, uh, right now you're watching Labor Vision, the at-home edition. If you've missed any of this segment, you can go to our website, which is www.laborvisionri.org, and you can check it out there. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We hope to see you back here for the next segment. Thanks. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week, Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.